0: St. John suffered its first loss of the season in heartbreaking fashion on Saturday, losing to in Hall 76-74 on a buzzer-beating three, but only after a controversial inadvertent whistle or out-of-bounds call. And just to me, it seems like it's just seven years, payback pay seven years late for the 2011 Big second-round game against Rutgers when they basically got away with four violations in one to win an advance against noted great citizen Mike Rice and his Rutgers team. Uh, Brendan, I know you remember that game very well, watched in the office together. But St. John's fouled Rutgers, stepped out of bounds, traveled, and threw the ball into the stands, and none of those violations were called in an exciting Big East uh, tournament game during the day session at Madison Square Garden.
1: Yeah, the referees. I think the referees included Tim Higgins. Oh, no, it, it's definitely Jim Burr. Jim, Jim Burr was, was definitely in that game.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and the, all that happened, and they just were like, "Oh no, that's good. We're we're, we're done here." We're, and they walked <laughs> off the floor. They jogged off the floor. Um, it was yeah. It was a it was a weird. Con- Fran Fischler was doing the game, and uh, I, I remember him being like confused, um, and perplexed and all the other words that also mean confused and just like, oh, that's it, the game's over moving on, um, and those referees did not work the rest of the Big East tournament that was kind of their, su- their suspension <laughs> the ultimate example of swallowing their whistles yeah, yeah. Um, almost literally you, you have to feel like they probably were about to actually swallow them, otherwise yeah. that whistle would have been
0: broken. And there, there were three of them, I watched the video just now there were three of them on the court and none of them called anything so pretty crazy let them play Double bonus the rest of the way Double bonus as well That's right, two free throws Both teams will be on the double bonus and so we'll have two the rest of the way
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the 10th episode of the Double Bonus Podcast uh, I'm Brendan DeRocher with Tom Borstein um, this is the, uh, the first podcast of 2019, episode of 2019. We, we've, we're in our second year of podcasting. Um, so that's, that's a major accomplishment. It,
0: it's, it's Accom- our first podcast. There might've been a podcast recorded earlier than 5.11 Eastern <laughs> on January 1st, but it's our first podcast of 2019.
1: Yeah. Um, it is our first podcast, uh, episode of 2019. And, um, so I guess I'm I wonder, Tom, um. How was your New Year's? How was your New Year's Eve, and how's your? How's the New Year been for you so far?
0: New Year's, my best one yet, and my New Year's Eve was fine. Went to a friend's apartment, had a nice dinner party, then went home, stayed in my burrow, which is great. Always great. You never want to cross any rivers on New Year's. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty relaxing, and, yeah, not too bad. How was yours? Jet-lagged, I presume.
1: Yeah, this was... Um... The third time that I've had extra long New Year's Eve, because I've flown from Hong Kong back to the United States. This is not my longest New Year's Eve, though. I once flew from Hong Kong to L.A., which was a, uh, which might made my New Year's Eve forty hours long. This one was only thirty-seven hours. Um, I, I came back home, and I watched a recorded version of Creighton Providence. Not not a, not a good result for the Friars. And then I watched a recorded version of the. Holiday Bowl between Utah and Northwestern, which was a better result. And then I went to bed, and this has been kind of a slow, um, slow day for me. Not, uh, not doing a whole lot here on New Year's Day. But I'm, I'm, we're doing this now, so uh, this is, this is something, you know. Not the highlight record. of the day. Yeah, not pe- many people record something for the public consumption on New Year's Day, and so that's where we are. Uh, again, if you are listening, you probably. Know this, but you can um, follow us on Twitter at, at Double Bonus Pod. You can go to our website doublebonuspod.com. Double you can also uh, subscribe, rate, review um, on Apple slash iTunes, um, as well as Spotify and Google Play Music. And you can always email us at, double bonus pod at gmail.com. uh You know, tell your friends if you like the show, and if you don't like the show, I don't know why you're listening. There's uh, many other podcasts go listen to. One of those. Yeah. Um, but let's start with that. Here's what we're going to do today, so everyone's on the same page. A little agenda for you uh, to start. We're going to talk about a couple of the notable games over the weekend and the big news item um, from yesterday, uh, that yesterday being New Year's Eve. Um, I'm going to share some things that I found when I did some analysis of the net rating in comparison to both the RPI and Ken Palm. And, and then we're going to, because it's, it's New Year's Day, the New Year started, we have a conference play, they're just underway, or about to start for most teams. It's good to kind of do a reset. So we're going to do our second top 25. Um, this top 25, like the last one, will be in order of the teams we think are most likely to win the national title. Not who we think is best now, not who we think has the best resume. Um, or who has had the best season. Um, and then we're going to look, go conference by conference as well as uh, some of the top mid majors and just give short snippets on each team. We're, we're, we have them ranked, uh, power ranked by conference. Um, and we're not, not going to double cover the teams that are in the top 25. It should go pretty quickly. Uh, that way, Tom and I and you are all going to be on the same page, ready to watch college basketball now that the college ball season is basically. Uh, basically over we have a couple more games today and then one more um for the college football national championship um in san francisco um yeah so that's the plan tom um you yeah, know let's, let's, let's start st John's Seton hall what well, you mentioned it already um just to uh, make sure everyone uh knows what happened seton hall beat st john's to end st john's undefeated season st john's ha- was probably the worst of the remaining un- undefeated but um but they were undefeated and uh, Seton Hall, um, after being down most of the game by as much as I think 14, uh, they had a chance um, down only one late in the game to knock down a three uh, or or a two to win the game. Um, and as Tom said, there was an inbounds that was deflected um, by Saint John's. That was uh, uh, that was LJ Figueroa who deflected, it, I believe, um, and to his own teammate, but. The referee called probably because you know they called it an inadvertent whistle the biggie said it the the whistle was blown because they thought the clock hadn't started when the ball was originally touched but it actually had started so they were blew the whistle because they felt like the clock hadn't started so in theory they were doing that to benefit st john's but because the one thing I guess I don't understand, okay, so is it, the, it was called the, the inverted whistle, Signal got the ball back, they inbounded the ball.
0: They got it back Plus, on the possession hour, right? Is that how they got it back?
1: I think they didn't. I think the possession hour actually favored St. John's. I think oh. they just basically said St. John's had not gotten possession of the ball, Seton all had possession of the ball, and, and okay. so therefore Seton all kept it, which I think also might not be the cor- like, cor- correct way to do it. Um. Sandro Mamokelejvili had the ball for Seton Hall. He drove, and then he passed out to walk-on, former walk-on, Shavar Reynolds, who made his second three-pointer of the season to end St. John's undefeated season. It was a great finish, um, but obviously highly marred, and the biggest explanation didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, Yeah, I I was waiting to have lunch in um, in (laughs) Hong Kong with my... uh, with my, uh, my wife's cousins and, and, and their kids, we were in a hotel, um, just hotel lobby waiting. And, um, that's when I saw the score and saw the highlights and the the replays. Um, I want to, I want to give major points to John Rothstein, um, for his recording, which both was a vertical video of a horizontal TV screen and appeared to be taken through some gauze or something. (laughs) Um, but I did see some more, some clearer versions. Doug Gallip had a slightly clearer version and, and of
0: it, and Hall tweeted a better version too. So yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, I'm 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 referring more to the the bad call. I'm not did Seton Hall.
0: They, had, we, a better, they had a better video quality on their tour. Yeah, they definitely had better. So had no, it.
1: it's, it's a really big loss for St. John's, actually. Uh, they have a tough schedule coming up, and they don't have many quality wins. This would have been a really good road win. This is their first A game of the season. Um, and now they have Marquette and then at Georgetown and at Villanova um, coming up. Uh, what, what, are we, what are your thoughts on, on what, what went down?
0: I mean, it was a brutal call and it did decide the game now saint john's of course missed the front ends of the one-on-one and people are going to blame the loss on that too but they were 15 of 18 from the line from the game so they are basically they missed the two highest leverage free throws they could make they didn't get in, didn't get much out of shimori ponds he only had uh, eight points and one of sorry uh two of 13 total from the floor seven assists five turns um they really got some good uh backup play from mustafa heron justin simon and marvin clark each had 15 plus and i honestly this is as you said it's a tough spot for st john's to lose it they were evenly matched they had could have a good road win against a tournament team from last year a team that's likely going to the tournament this year and the refs really cost them they led the whole game uh it was not i mean it's just really bad luck and it's one of the it's probably one of the worst losses of the season as far as just like unfairness because of the just the way they played and they led the whole game and then basically if that call goes right they're gonna win the game so of course, people can say, "Oh, don't miss the friends of the 101," but it's kind of—it's it's a frustrating loss. So uh, I almost feel bad for St. John's, but I don't really, because I don't seem to care that much about them. But I don't know—it's a, um, yeah, tough loss for them, and we'll see how they bounce back. Oh, the other thing is—you, you, this is this is one of those losses where do you think the NCAA selection committee gives them most like a half a pass on this loss because, or because it was so blatantly unfair, or do you think they're just going to be like, it's still a loss? Is that on the team sheet anywhere, like questionable calls?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think, you know, you have a committee of people. This is why you have a committee of people. Yeah. Um, when um, when Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy was talking to David Warlock and Dan Gavitt of the uh, uh, NCAA about the net recently, and, and, you know, Ken Pomeroy, one of his main points was, you know, you still are are forcing humans to make a decision when it comes to NSA tournament seeding and selection um, based on a ton of data, data that'll be in conflict, data that's complicated, data that there's just, a, just too much of to process. And so um, it ends up being kind of broken down to like top 25 and top 50 wins and quad quadrant wins and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and Ken Pomeroy's point was, why don't we do something that's a little bit more systematic that it does it takes out the human element so that um, we we can properly reward teams and not have to worry about you know what people are are using the eye test and what people are not and all that kind of stuff. And you know, one of Dan Gavitt's points is is that you you need the human element or we we'll always have the human element um, at, in the form of a committee. Is what he implied it would always be there, uh, and in part because you need to be able to kind of understand things that might not be able to be seen on um just a score sheet and i think i think that's dangerous when you look at things like the eye test which i i can't stand it you know um like jay Billis is supposed to be this like really sophisticated um announcer but yet he seems to be a huge fan of like well you want look at how virginia tech played in the acc tournament how can you tell me that's not an ncaa tournament team that's like that's like a terrible way of, of going about it but the good thing about like the the uh, human element is that it can say, okay, well, let's be real. St. John's shouldn't have lost this game. It was a bad call. If it comes down to like them not getting the tournament or getting in the tournament and being on the edge, um, and if if they clearly would be in with a win at Seton Hall and they might be out with a loss, then we, we should put them in because we don't want one call to basically ruin their whole season. Um, now, we'll, or or even a seed line, maybe. Um, I, I don't know if that will actually happen. Um, you know, the committee supposed to be able to take into account injuries um, but I'm not sure they take into account suspensions. so it's like what do they take into account and not account Um, you know they always say we want the best teams but their process isn't really um, actually put the best teams in it's the teams with like the best resumes and a resume is based primarily on wins and losses which you know, for instance, in Ken Palm, St. John's' ranking is not going to be like any different in a thing like Ken Palm because of this. It's like basically just marginally worse because their defensive efficiency is going to be slightly worse because of this three-pointer. And you know, I would say is if, because the point is to win the game. There should be more of a gap than just like oh, a one-point win and one-point loss is the same thing as the difference between that is the same thing as a one-point win and a three-point win. I think that the difference is greater because you're playing the whole game to try to get more points than the other team. Um, but on the on the other hand um, what you know if you look at say KPI or something or even the net or like how RPI was the difference in St. John's ranking on those measures is going to be vastly different because of the difference between a two-point loss in this case and a, what would have been a one point win or even maybe a three- point win because maybe they get fouled there after right. they steal the ball um, I guess that's, that's a long-winded way of, of kind of thinking about the theory
0: of picking teams but uh, but that's how I, I, how I look at it what do you think I think that it's going to be in the back of people's mind. I think it'll give them just the benefit of the doubt a little bit. But, of course, St. John's made its own bed. This is their toughest test of the season, and that's because they played one of the worst non-conference schedules in the country. Now, they have Duke coming up. They play Duke periodically uh, in the middle of February. They have February 2nd at Duke. So, But even with that game, they have a, their strength of schedule is 345th non-conference. Like, no one told them schedule Rutgers, Cal, Georgia Tech as your three like major conference opponents. Uh, entering the season, like you could have done a little bit better. You're St. John's. You have access to Madison Square Garden. Probably could have done a little better. So maybe they weren't wouldn't have been in such a close game against Seton Hall if uh, if they had played some tougher tests early in the season. So who knows? So, uh, but I think they should get the benefit of the doubt. If this is really the the deciding case between a seed line or getting in the tournament, I think they should get the benefit of the doubt. But then again, uh, they kind of put themselves in this position a little bit because their resume is going to be thin because their non-conference schedule is so terrible
1: yeah um no for sure they, they haven't the only their only road game out of conference um is rose rutgers uh they went down to miami and played georgia tech which in theory if they filled that game a couple of years ago and they thought georgia Tech would be better by then cal has been good in the past but obviously it's terrible this year and then vcu and temple were the two teams in that in that tournament they had at barclays and um they're both like about the same this year about 65 70th best team in the country. Um, and, and St. John's won that game in overtime. Let's um, let's hit briefly on what some call the best rivalry or the best non-conference rivalry in, in the sport, and that's Kentucky-Louisville. Kentucky went to Louisville. It was impressive again. Was just as they have been the last since the Seton Hall loss. They've now beaten Utah by 27. They beat North Carolina neutral site by 8, and now they've won at Louisville by 13, 71-58. Uh, you have any thoughts on this game?
0: I was really impressed with uh, Kentucky's defense in this game shutting down Louisville, you know, holding them to .94 points per possession, and they seem like they're growing into this team a little bit. Obviously, they lost Quadet Green, who's transferring, but Reed Travis is playing really well. Tyler Harrow stepped up, played very well, had 24 points on 10 of 13 shooting. Uh, it's, the Yum Center is a huge arena. It's tough to win there. Uh, it's, uh, obviously, it is a bit, whatever you want to say, where it ranks in the rivalries, it's a huge deal to the state. That's why Calipari is so popular among Kentucky fans, because he owns Louisville. And this is another example of it. And Kentucky seems to have turned the corner. That blip uh, to start the year, when they really struggled against, they came out flat against Duke. Then they had some weird games against VMI, and you know, uh, who else did they have a close game against? Like uh, uh, if Vermont or Southern Illinois or Southern something. Southern Illinois, like yeah. Um, so, and they didn't really play anybody outside of Rupp. But they've seemed to have turned the corner for these last three games, especially the last two. Um, so I'm, I would definitely, uh, I think the race for the t- top spot in the SEC is going to be really exciting. And I think Kentucky's just reasserted that they're going to be back in there and they're definitely going to be a factor and they're probably a final four contender if, uh, things play out the way they should.
1: Yeah. The one thing to note, you mentioned Quad Green transferring to Washington, which we discussed briefly on the podcast last week. Um, he, John Kempire has really shortened his rotation. He had, um, he played nine players in the, in the Louisville game, but only, Six players played more played double-digit minutes. Um, the starters: Harrow, PJ Washington, Kelton Johnson, Reed Travis, Ashton Hagens, and then Emmanuel Quickly, uh, the the freshman guard. Um, EJ Montgomery is a five-star freshman. Only played nine minutes. Nick Richards, a former, uh, I believe a former five-star, at least a highly-rated recruit. He only played seven minutes. Partly is because you know there's just too many big men on Kentucky. Th- those guys are six ten and six eleven, respectively. Um, and you have to wonder whether just getting uh, Shortening your rotation is is a you know a big a big part of why uh, Kentucky's played a little bit better. They, the guys are playing together more. They're not going with kind of a platoon. They were never going with a, a, a true platoon like they did a few years ago. But playing a lot of guys, a lot of minutes. Um, you know, if you look at at for instance the Seton Hall game, let's see how many. In that game, I guess it was somewhat similar. Quade Green played 10 minutes, and Nick Richard played 12 minutes, um, and junk and i played eight minutes, and that was an overtime game. Just to keep in mind for that uh, where Reed Travis fell out. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I'm I'm definitely. I was high in Kentucky starting the, starting the season. I think they have a lot of good players. And another thing to note is Kentucky's allowed the 313th worst three-point percentage of any team in the country this year. And that's the kind of thing that tends to regress. Um, especially John Calipari has been a, consistently held teams uh, to a low three-point percentages uh, over his time at uh, at Kentucky. In this game, it started to regress perhaps a little bit. We went five for 20 on three-pointers. Um, Jordan and more, their their best uh, offensive player was
0: one for five. Yeah, they're not allowing like a real ridiculous number of three point attempts in the game. They're right in the middle of the country as far as what percentage of their opponent attempts come from three. So yes, I think they are in line to kind of benefit from a turn in the three point lottery there. So yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: the the big story over the weekend was not um, uh, on the floor. It was if you consider the Monday the weekend, I guess um, it was uh, Steve Alford being fired uh, by UCLA. The um, former Southwest Missouri State, Iowa, and New Mexico coach. Um, it becomes the first ever uh, coach to be fired by uh, UCLA during the season. Um, his team had lost four straight games, including at home to Belmont and Liberty, two very good mid majors, but still, obviously, those are games you should win, and then two blowout losses um, to Cincinnati and Ohio State. They were 7 6 in the season. Um, UCLA is a big reason why the Pac-12 has been really bad this year, uh, but, uh, you know, Steve Alford, and now he only gets five and a half seasons, basically five seasons in 13 games, made the end of the tournament four times, made the Sweet 16 three times, and um, you know, you never never a favorite of uh, of UCLA fans. And uh, Matt Norlander and, and Gary Parrish spent maybe forty five minutes talking about this on their podcast. Twice. Um, they
0: did a they did an original podcast about him um, and it was speculated and then they came back and did another one
1: basically, oh, so so they, basically
0: they did like 90 minutes on this over 24 hours basically
1: yeah so if, so if you really want a full breakdown with a lot of speculation this coach is going to be and all the background on on steve alford uh, i recommend listening to that podcast which is almost <laughs> dedicated to it but um but yeah steve alford out at ucla you have what are your thoughts i,
0: I the ucla is obviously a blue blood program but it's kind of crazy how quickly it fell apart for alford and also just how i mean he has a there are so many coaches who have done so much less than he has and are like totally safe. I brought that up the last time on our last show, Shaka Smart hasn't won an NCAA tournament game with Texas. Now Texas cares so much more about football than anything that he just kind of slides under the radar, but he's not even, he doesn't even, his name doesn't even come up at all for being at risk. And I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm just saying that it's just weird that Steve Alford, who's done something that most coaches don't do, which is make the sweet 16 more times than not, uh, is out. I mean, there's obviously just a, this team's collapsed with the losses to Belmont and Liberty at home, which can't happen for a, uh, a UCLA team. And then obviously sandwich those are sandwiching the Cincinnati, Ohio State games, which aren't terrible losses um, away from home. But I you don't know. It's, it was this freshman class. I guess didn't pan out. Uh, his defense is pretty terrible, um, and uh, he's never obviously been very good at coaching defense. And it just from like two years ago when they were the toast of the town in December and January. And now they're basically dragging the pack 12 down to the bottom of the ocean uh i mean the pack 12 has a lot of help there are a lot of there's a lot of dead weight in the pack 12 but uh, it's just kind of crazy how how quickly the ship has sunk in uh in westwood
1: yeah um has not made the elite eight uh, since they went to the Final Four under Ben Hallen in back-to-back seasons in 2007 and 2008. So that would be 10 straight seasons, and presumably they're not going to make the Elite Eight this year. That would be 11 seasons. Uh, of course, he did make the Sweet 16 three times. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Alonzo Ball team was good enough potentially to make the um, – make the final four they lost uh, they were in a very tough region where they ended up playing Kentucky in the sweet 16 and then um also in that region was North Carolina who, who were the eventual national champions um and then last year didn't go well uh they made the NCAA tournament barely in the first four, For four yeah. yeah they played like a pretty um it was a really ugly game I was uh, uh against St. Bonaventure a game that I thought UCLA was going to win honestly and, and they were up let me look at this. They're up by five um, in, the, in the final minutes. Um, well, eight minutes left, so it's not like that that late in the game. And then they went in a big drought. Uh, Sabonis scored 12 straight points, and they lost. And um, yeah, you, and now now it's over. So
0: three point six I, million to Steve Alford, though. Yeah. So. Well,
1: I, he he's not going to struggle to find uh, find something to eat. Um, no. I, uh i guess people have probably thought about this but steve alford was um the person that the indiana pacers that people wanted in indiana wanted the pacers to pick in 19 in 1987 nba draft uh, and instead they picked reggie miller who went to ucla um i i just thought of that but uh, so ucla uh, uh, basically, a UCLA player was taken when Steve Alford wanted to go to the Pacers, and
0: now UCLA has fired him. After uh, it's, it's a really, I don't know. It all comes full circle really... in some yeah. way, with maybe some many detours and maybe some left and right turns and maybe a total maze. But it all comes full something.
1: Yeah. 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 It's yeah. all yeah. Um, some of the names mentioned to replace him. Uh, well, first of all, Murray, Murray Bartow is going to be the um, the interim coach at UCLA um, yeah, as they enter Pac-12 play. Uh, they start the Pac-12 season on Thursday. Um, they have the Stanford-Cal weekend uh, at home. Uh, those should be not difficult games, but the way UCLA's playing, you can't take anything for granted, I guess. Um, and then um, and then they have the rest of the Pac-12 season before they can hire a new coach. Names I've mentioned have been um, Fred Hoiberg, who was just fired by the Chicago Bulls. Um, uh, Greg Marshall of Wichita State, his name came up. Um... Earl, Earl Watkins, um, Earl Watson, sorry, former UCLA player who was former Phoenix Suns coach. Um, you know the, Billy Donovan, of course, is going to be a name that, that comes up whenever there's a big college job opening. But he's doing a pretty good job, Oklahoma City, right now still, and he wouldn't be available until at least April. Um, yeah, I mean your usual suspects are going to come up. Uh,
0: Greg Marshall was uh, almost—they could have hired him if several years ago, right? That's what they say, but they didn't want to wait during that run when they went to the final four. So they just signed it instead. Is that right? Is that what they say? That, that's
1: like, um,
0: like that's ur- basically what,
1: uh, what Gary Parish says is the case. And I, I guess I believe him. I, I have no reason not to that. Um, Greg Marshall didn't want to talk to UCLA until he didn't want to talk, not, not just didn't want to accept the job, obviously, but, uh, didn't want to talk to UCLA until, um, uh, um, until after their season. And that was the year they went to the final four. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, some names, other names mentioned just, uh, there's a lot of Duke guys. Steph uh, Davis mentioned Jeff Capel, uh, who just became the coach at, at uh, Pittsburgh, um, as well as, you know, Bobby Hurley's Arizona state. Jamie Dixon used to be assistant coach at UCLA under Ben Howland. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess the question is what kind of coach do you want? Um, you know, People, I remember when Fred Horberg was fired by. I guess this was like what a month ago. He was fired by the Bulls, and people immediately speculated about where he would go to college. People talked about Minnesota because he's from that Midwest, but people mentioned UCLA even then. um, And you know, he has a style that I think would be attractive to UCLA fans. But he also, I guess UCLA doesn't really take many transfers. generally that's a kind of a thing that they're not really into transfers i'm not sure it's an academic thing or just like a traditional thing but uh, obviously fred horberg is he's not a big fan of recruiting um he'll do it obviously but he's he's he likes to kind of just bring in some transfers from other schools along with some recruits and then go from there and i, I don't know if that's really gonna fly at ucla maybe he you, uh,
0: differently. i mean it's a little easier to get people to come to ucla than it is to come to uh iowa state i mean you know (laughs) like maybe you can get maybe you can hit hit the road stop by a few living rooms say hello and maybe get some top players it's a little easier to sell southern california than um iowa speak for yourself i love iowa tom um
1: no i i I also like uh southern california
0: i have been to iowa by the way so
1: i don't hate it but is it heaven i wouldn't say it's heaven no it's
0: iowa
1: yeah um uh okay uh let's move on um well, a lot of the other games that have happened since we last spoke, um, which was Christmas Eve for Tom and Christmas Day for me, um, we'll bring up when we go through the various teams as we do the, our New Year's reset. I just want to spend a couple of minutes just talking about some research I did on the net. Um, I was just trying to compare the net to the RPI and the net to Kenpom um, for various reasons, just so I understand a little bit better. But uh, a few correlations here. So um, RPI... Um, and the net have a correlation um, coefficient of 0.924. So for folks who uh, want to understand what that correlation means, zero would mean there's no relationship between the the two rankings, which obviously wouldn't make sense. Negative one would mean that they are inverse, or basically the best team in net would be the worst team in RPI, which of course wouldn't make any sense. And one would mean that that they're exactly the same. Um, So 0.924 is pretty strong. Um, the net to KenPOM actually is a 0.959 or or it's not go to that mean this was 0.96 um, uh, correlation so it's actually closer more closely correlated to Ken than than it is to RPI um, and for RPI to Ken in case you're wondering it's 0.87 or 0.88, uh, 0.875 is where, where it is um, so the net actually is about you, you could do a pretty good job of mimicking the net ratings by taking uh, 60% of Ken Palm and 40% of the RPI and mixing it together. That'll give you um, it, an even higher correlation uh, of 0.974. Uh, so basically 90, 90, uh, 9, 97% is probably the wrong way to do it, but 0.974 is a pretty strong correlation. Um, yeah, So I, I think we're seeing that the margin of victory has definitely um, made... Uh, a, a difference in how much uh, the net is is fa- is close to Ken Palm rather than to RPI, which of course did not factor margin victory at all. Um, if if you're looking at which teams are doing well in Ken Palm, uh, in net compared to um, RPI, um, they, they would have been in RPI or or to Ken Palm. It's mostly mid majors so far this year. Uh, North Texas. I did, I did this analysis right after Christmas, so some things might have changed. North Texas, Furman, San Francisco, Penn, UNC, Greensboro. Houston, Vanderbilt, these are all team. well Vanderbilt's obviously a major conference team, um, and Houston's in the AAC, but these teams all have um, a much better net than you'd expect based on their RPI and Kempom rating. On the other side, it's pretty much all uh, major conference teams. I was looking primarily like at the, hot, the top 120, so it's a mix of major conference and um, mid-majors. Uh, so you see West Virginia, Texas. Texas. Um, Davidson, Penn State, Alabama, USC, Georgetown are the teams that have struggled, have a, a bad nets relative to their, um, what you would expect based on their RPI and Ken Palm. And one thing that I notice is it does seem that like just record is really important, like not having many losses. Um, you know, NC State's another team that's really high in net that isn't as high in Ken Palm or RPI. Um, and they're, they only have, I think, one loss to Wisconsin. Um, so losses do, seem to definitely hurt you uh maybe even more in, in some ways than you'd expect uh in the net even compared to rpi and kenpom um of course it's early in the season and really we need a full season's worth of data to make any stronger claims
0: Nate silver um, didn't but it's okay
1: oh yeah Nate, Nate Silver only need three weeks of data to, to to call it the worst rating in the history
0: i mean so it's basketball. you said it was 0.95 to kenpom is that what you said
1: yeah 0.96 basically 0.95. so it's pretty
0: it's pretty good right i mean that seems like it's not a bad correlation I mean the RPI, I guess, is garbage, and it's point, widely regarded as garbage. And it's 0. 0.92. So the question is, does that uh, point f- or 0. 0.04 make a make a big difference in your opinion, Brendan? Well, um, if you look at it this way, the, R- the R- RPI to Ken
1: Palm was like basically 0. 0.88, and net to Ken Palm was 0.96. So you've improved. You've gotten it like oh, got 0. 0.08 you. closer to, to Kenpom, if Kenpom is the standard. Uh, obviously, some people don't like Kenpom, and, and it's not the only kind of predictive factor out there. But um, if we said the pro- big problem with RPI is that it was not really factoring things uh, correctly and, and, and overstating certain things, like you know a win and a loss and not factoring margin of victory, they started to do that, and they've gotten a lot closer to like something that basically doesn't factor in wins and losses at all, which is Kenpom. I think the overall kind of theme is it's an improvement over the RPI. Uh, it, It makes it harder to game your schedule than the RPI did, which was basically, since the RPI was so strength schedule focused, all you had to do was schedule teams that were good teams from bad conferences, and never scheduled bad teams in good conferences. That's like the worst possible you could schedule. Like your your Depauls and your Boston colleges and, and teams like that is like absolutely the worst team because those teams will have both who have a bad record, a record that's actually probably worse than their um, than how they are as a team, um, because they're going to be playing teams that are they're better than them pretty much every single game once the conversation starts. Um, you can still game it it's it's still similar to the rpi and how you would game it you still want the same types of type of teams because if your theory is uh you want to face teams that are not that good according to ken palm is how the te- how good a team actually is then um then still you would you would go to team go for teams that are likely to have better records than their actual quality um but anyway we'll take another look at the end of the season uh, and let's move on from this, just because um, we're actually talking a little bit longer than I expected on on this first part. But uh, this is it's all very—it's
0: it's, it's all good content, though, Brandon. Never yeah. apologize. Yeah,
1: hashtag content. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's uh let's do our top twenty-five. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're gonna do this like we did last time, basically five at a time each. Um. And. This will be, give, give us a good chance to talk about these teams uh, ahead of going through the conf- conference by conference. Um, I see your I mean, let's, – let's reveal each of our 21 and 25. We have a document here, those of you listening, and right now they're blacked out so that we don't see each other's. But, uh, but I'm about to reveal 25 to 21. Okay, oh. I see your 25 to 21, Toms, is Mississippi State, Houston, Indiana, Nebraska, Kansas State. Mine is Houston, Purdue, Florida, Oklahoma, Auburn. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on why these five in these spots? Um, I guess what I would say is I don't have Kansas State on my board at all or Mississippi State, although Mississippi State, I think, Kansas State was one of my last teams to be dropped, and Mississippi State has a good case to be on there. And I have um, Nebraska and Indiana higher on my board. Um, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, I like Kansas State. I know I've been poo-pooing their run to the NCAA tournament last year as far as kind of being lucky for the bracket the way they got it. But they are the number two team in defensive efficiency this year. Uh, Dean Wade is out for a little bit, but I think they're going to get a pretty good seed if they hold their own and stay afloat um, in the Big 12 conference. Uh, As far as um, that schedule goes, they're going to play really well. They only have two losses, one to Marquette and one to Tulsa, which is not a great loss, but the Marquette one is obviously totally justifiable. And uh, Mississippi State, I really like the direction they're going under Howland. Um, It's kind of funny there. They're up to 20th in Ken Palm now. Very efficient offensively. Um, and they are kind of a dangerous team in the sec people are going to gear up for the Tennessee's Kentucky's Auburn's of the world. But I think, uh, they can make some noise and be very dangerous. Their only only losses a neutral to Arizona state. Um, and they are a very good shooting team. So I like their, uh, I like what they're doing there. Yeah.
1: Mississippi city does have four, a wins. So an a win on Ken Palm is basically like a quad one win, um, an equivalent of a top 50 win, uh, neutral against St. Mary's, uh, away to Dayton. Um, neutral against Clemson and home against Cincinnati. Um, those last two were impressive, especially because they were by 11. Um, yeah, Mississippi state may be a little bit better than I'm giving them credit for. Um, and, uh, and then in terms of Kansas state, they definitely made my 26 team. I, I cut them when I bumped Florida in, um, you know, I, I think part of this, is the difficult part is that this isn't necessarily who I think of the 25 best teams, but these are the teams that are most likely to win the national title. Right. And when you get down to 21, they're not very likely at all, <laughs> 21 to 25. Uh, to For me, like the top 12, or you know, top eight or nine, I, I really like, and then top 12 was pretty clear. And after that, I think you could almost put any team in any order. Um, Florida's playing a bit better. They blew out Butler recently, um, and... They have talent, so I kind of went with talent. Purdue, I went with a the 24. They haven't played well this year. Well, they have a lot of losses, I guess you could put it that way. Um, but with Carson Edwards and a team that can really sh- score it, um, I figured maybe they were trying to make a, make a deep run. Houston's still undefeated, good defense. Oklahoma um, has actually ha- had a really good like resume so far this year. If they have a good conference season, they could get a, a really high seed um, with a, an improved defense. Um, They have a win at Northwestern. They have a win over Creighton. They also beat Dayton, who was a team of Mississippi State, has beaten. And they have a neutral court win over Florida um, by 15. So, um, again, mine is uh, Houston, Purdue, Florida, Oklahoma, Auburn. One thing is, you know, Auburn probably a bit lower than you have them, or most people would have them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of of Auburn this year. I kind of came around on Tennessee, but... um, they uh, they don't have any real high quality wins this year, um, and uh, they, on defense they basically rely on forcing turnovers. And I think if when you you're probably going to run into a team that's they turn not turned over in the second weekend, and uh, and that could be a problem for them. They're number one in the country in block rate and number two in the country in steal rate, which is it's kind of that's kind of like the St. John's formula from last year: get blocks and steals, but don't really do anything else particularly well on defense. Um, yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I, I okay. totally see that. I mean, they are they forced turnovers on 29.3% of their possessions, which is almost 4% more than any other team in the country. So, yeah. But shots are going to fall, and if you don't get the turnovers, one team takes care of the ball, you run to like a Michigan in a Sweet 16 game or someone like that. The team just doesn't turn the ball over, you could be in trouble. So okay. I definitely see where you're coming from there.
1: Next five, um, oh, you have, a, you have Florida on here too. Um, so yeah. number 20, Iowa State, number 19, Florida, number 18, Oklahoma. We've discussed a couple of teams just now. Number 17, North Carolina State, number 16, Ohio State. Uh, for me, I have number 20, North Carolina State, 19, Marquette, 18, Nebraska, 17, Iowa State, and 16, Wisconsin. Um, at first glance, you know, Ohio State's a team I actually do not have on my ranking, um, and – they have definitely played like a top 25 team this year and they have Chris Holtman as their coach who has done a good job of, you know, pretty much always winning a game in the NCAA tournament. I didn't include them on here mainly because of their, um, their talent. I just think their talent is not at a great, uh, not that great, not a really final four team good. I think all the teams I have on here either have something like a, like a dynamic score or have just more overall talent. Um, They're built Defensively, Ohio State is on um, on two point defense. Um, they're 17th in the country in two point defense. They're 29th in the country in three point defense. That might regress the second one, and the first one I feel like might regress because they're not a team that has many shot blockers. No, generally shot blocks and two point defense is correlated to some extent, but uh, Ohio State's 17th in two point defense and three and 162nd in uh, in shot blocks. So I I do think that the, their defense will be not as good moving forward um although i will give credit to um chris holtman is that he's had a top th- um well i'm looking I was, I was actually i was looking at uh, offense but he said he had a top 35 uh two-point defense last year although he had more shot blockers last year so we'll we'll see what what goes on with that but uh but yeah ohio state they're they're really really playing well right now but uh i don't have in my top 25.
0: It's fair. North Carolina State I added there because they are just a very good shooting team. They actually probably should shoot the three more. They shoot the three, 41.4%, but they only take it 33.2% of their attempts, which is 299th in the country, but they're fifth in the country in, off, in a effective field goal percentage, and they crash the boards uh, really well. They're, they're seventh in offensive rebound percentage. Now, their resume is not so great. They do have a win against Auburn at home. Uh, they lost to Wisconsin back in November. Uh, but they're like similar just like mississippi state and the sec they're like right on that second tier in a very talented acc so i will see what they have there but kevin keats has done a good job with them that's a far cry from the sydney low days
1: and they have a very very deep bench you know i think i i had north carolina state in my in my ranking perhaps a little bit prematurely last time i thought maybe at at 24 of and i think that yeah um and I guess that's proven to be the case. Their only loss being that really close loss to Wisconsin, um, where they were leading much of the game. Uh, they do play a lot of guys on their bench, which in the NCAA tournament doesn't isn't really what you, what, uh, you see much. You see teams shortening the bench. Um, but yeah, you know, it, North Carolina State is the kind of team that um, we don't... I think still even now on January 1st, there's a lot of unknowns. And so... Um, a team, a team like North Carolina State, that hasn't played a really tough schedule, but has looked really good from some of the advanced metrics and just um, some of their performances, maybe they're actually really, really good. And um, and then we look up in a month and, and they're you know seven and two in the ACC or something like that, and and suddenly they're
0: a real contender to go to the second weekend and beyond. Um, uh, yeah. So one thing about uh, the and, So sorry, go ahead. No, no. We, I was gonna say one thing about the bench in uh, the NCAA tournament is you play two games in three days. Uh, sometimes the most important game, minutes in the, in the games that no one talks about is that you know those four to six minutes in the first half where you try to rest your stars and get some and cheat and get some minutes. And if you have some guys who can come off the bench and score, we've seen it in national championship games um, with um, you know last year in uh, Michigan several years ago. The, these guys come off and they provide valuable minutes, and um, you never know what's going to happen. So the bench can be important. It's not usually down the stretch, but sometimes in these hidden minutes in the first half uh, where you get those. Keep yeah, the, moments. Dante Vincenzo and Spike
1: Albrecht yeah. um, were a couple of guys that were big in national championship games. And I think the other thing is with foul trouble, um, you know, two fouls early and suddenly a team that doesn't have a, D, uh, a guy to replace that guy is going to be in a lot of trouble. We saw that with Gonzaga against North Carolina in the national title game um, where uh, their big man got into foul trouble, I know his name he was a top 15 top 10 pick in the NBA draft Hold on. Uh, they was oh, Zach Collins oh yes is uh, yes. Collins only played 14 minutes in the national title game um, and he had five fouls and um, in those 14 minutes so he um, and then we saw Primate Karnowski. He got four fouls in that game, um, and Jonathan Williams had four fouls. But as, and those are were the three tallest players. So um, they they did have Killian Tilly on that team, and he played, but you know he was a freshman and and hadn't really played as much um, in big games that uh, that season. Um, yeah, he had in the NCAA tournament. He had 14 was the most he played, as, as equal to the Northwestern game that year for um, uh, for. Gonzaga. Um Yeah, I, I dropped Wisconsin down to 16. Not just because they lost to Western Kentucky over the weekend uh, on the road. That's not that big a deal. I, um, but I, I am a little bit concerned about how Brad Davison is playing. Um, you know, I, I thought he was going to be one of the, um, have, have a better season, basically. And I think, and maybe it's just a slump. Um, maybe he's banged up because he takes so many charges. To you know, people hate brad davis and takes a lot of charges which whatever
0: I he's very right, hit or remember. miss this year yeah he had 26 um, and... in that loss but yeah then the day before he had seven or the game before he had seven he had zero in the game against marquette which is obviously a killer
1: yeah um I I don't know I'm, I'm maybe a little bit down on Wisconsin right now uh, maybe lower than I should have been it's still 16 that's that's pretty good um, but I think I had them a lot higher I had them uh, well I had them 13 last time so it's not that much of a difference we both have Iowa State in this section um, Iowa State is at full is at full strength now or I, I think actually they're getting um uh, uh getting their point guard back momentarily. Let me just check on his status here as we're talking. Um, yeah, Lindell Wigginton. He uh, he doesn't come back from his. Oh no, he did. That's right. December twenty-first in the last game. He played eighteen minutes. So they are full strength. Um, he's only played two games this year, and um, they did have that strange road loss to Iowa by fourteen. Uh, but I, you know, I think that this is a team that has kind of top. Well, top ten might be a little tough, but. Um, this might be about as high as they get in this ranking, me um, 17 and you 20, but uh, but I do think that they have uh, the talent at least to go to go deep in the NCAA tournament. Um, okay, right. let's... 11 to 15. So uh, right. Let's t- take a look. Okay, um, 15, 14, 13, uh, 12, 11 for Tom. Wisconsin, Marquette, Florida State, Michigan State, Virginia Tech. And I have uh, Florida State, Villanova, Indiana, Virginia Tech, and michigan state um
0: so yeah i I didn't rank villanova just not sold on them Too up and down but of course Mm -hmm. that was probably if if we were picking teams that should have went if i did this exercise 100 percent correctly they probably should have been in there over uh mississippi state or uh, nebraska um yeah and you are much higher in indiana than i am you have indiana at 13th i had them all the way down at 23rd i guess you are sold on their Basically, there are two two great players in Langford and Morgan. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, point guard was a question for them this year, but Roth Finney has been pretty good, although he, he can be a bit up and down, and uh, as a freshman, or a freshman often are. It, it does look like we have the same top 12, probably, unless you have a surprise in top 10. Um, you have Virginia Tech 11, Michigan State 12. I have Michigan State 11, Virginia Tech 12. And then I'm assuming our top 10 is going to be at least the same set of 10 teams. Uh, so I think there we there is kind of consensus, I think, on that top 12. Um we both have Florida State in this group. Oh, let me talk about Indiana for one more second. What I like about Indiana is um, their defense has been um, kind of better than I expected it to be this season. Um, their defense has actually been better than their offense. Um, and, uh, um, and Langford and Morgan are uh, one of the best one-two pun- punches in the country, I would say. Uh, they do, they've do. they been a bit lucky this year. It, in in you, know, you might think that I'm ranking them based on their resume um, because they have four good wins by a combined eight points. Um, they beat Penn State. They beat um, Butler. Louisville, Butler, and Northwestern all in very close games. They, they did blow out Marquette. Uh, um, their defense is solid across the board, and their offense is good at getting twos. And I do think that Archie Miller in the NCAA tournament with a really dominant big man and a dominant wing uh, who can initiate the offense if he needs to is the kind of team that could, you know, surprise people and go to the final four. And then when you're the final four, I mean at, at this spot, I feel like, you know, 13, 14, 15 in the rankings, um, you, you would, uh, take a team that has like a legitimate final four slot. And in terms of Villanova, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I, I I'll, I'll trust Jay Wright. Um, I thought about, I basically took this whole chunk of 13 through like 18, which is Marquette is 18, then North Carolina State at 19, Auburn at 20. That whole chunk, I took it out and I was going to re-rank it and I decided to keep it the way I had it previously. And, you know, Villanova did beat Florida State in a neutral court, um, actually in Florida. Uh, so I you know, I guess I'll, I'll see what is capable of doing. They could go on a great shooting streak in the in the NCAA tournament, um, and their, uh, but their defense obviously hasn't been very good this year either, and that's probably the, the probably what will keep them from going on a deep run.
0: Yeah, I think this is the type of I, people who don't follow sporting and see them lose in the second round and be kind of surprised, but they're still 22nd in Ken Palm. Uh, their offense, they have adapted through the years under Jay Wright. Jay Wright is a very smart person, so he understands how to get the most out of his players. Um, there's upside as far as who can contribute more from them, So, but their defense, they got to get that sorted. And they have some bad losses, which are very uncharacteristic. The loss to Penn is a bad loss, and obviously the Furman loss. And getting mm-hmm. blown out by Michigan at home, even though Michigan's very good, you shouldn't lose by uh, whatever, it's 27 points to them. So
1: one so interesting thing about Villanova, um, the last 12 seasons, all under Jay Wright, um, for the first six of those seasons, um, their three-point uh, rate – was not in the top 100. They they were 155th, 195th, 118th, 156th, 148th, 112th. That's the percentage of their field goals that are three pointers. In the last six seasons, it hasn't been lower than 31. 7th, 22nd, 31st, 31st, 12th, 4th. Um, basically, Jay Wright changed his style of offense almost entirely between one season and the next. Um, he they and. Since he did that, they've been a two seed, a one seed, a two seed, a one seed, a one seed, and then this year, and they've won two national titles. And prior to doing that, they had been a nine seed out of the tournament and a nine seed the previous three seasons. They, of course, also made the Final Four in 2009 with that style of not taking three pointers. But it's interesting—they're they're fourth in the country in three-point um, rate this year. 51.7 percent of their three-pointers, I'm sorry, of their field goals are three-pointers, which is is crazy. Um, and then in that run, it was more like 32, 33, 34 percent back before Jay Wright switched over.
0: Only seven teams get fewer points from two-point field goals than Villanova. Longwood, Savannah State, Delaware State, Louisiana, Monroe, the Citadel, and Quinnipiac. I don't think any of those teams is making the NCAA tournament. So, interesting. They're, yeah, they just don't. Nope. We'll, we'll let someone else shoot twos. We'll do something else. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think that
1: it's good, good to talk about these teams at 12 and 11. Um, because I, I do think, to me, there's like a big kind of bold line between Michigan State, Virginia Tech, um. And then the teams below them. Um, I, I we haven't talked about Marquette. You know, Marquette I, I think is really high for you at 14. I have them at eight, nine, 19. I'm, um, because of uh, you know Marcus Howard, they can shoot. Their offense is the kind of offense that could go on a run. Their defense hasn't been terrible this year, so I, I, it's good to mention them. But Virginia Tech and Michigan State. Um, Virginia Tech won their um, ACC opener today, blowing out Notre Dame, a shorthanded Notre Dame team. Uh, Michigan State has kind of been under the radar, be- I think because their two um, losses this season were very high profile. They had the um, the loss in the Champions Classic to Kansas where they were pretty much outclassed, but they came back and actually made it close at the end. Um, and they had the loss to Louisville in overtime where like it was a weird game and they had the, the stupid missed free throw that missed the rim and that was an AC Big, Big Ten challenge. And so I, it feels like maybe because of that and because they won that tournament in las vegas that, that kind of was uh, overshadowed on that weekend with maui and and some other tournaments going on they they beat ucla and texas and texas hasn't been that good this year and ucla hasn't been good at all uh, it, it feels like they've been a little bit overshadowed but they're fifth in ken palm they're fifth yeah. in offense in the nation 25th in defense so michigan State, virginia tech what are your thoughts on those two
0: uh, Michigan State, you know, Izzo has a great tournament reputation, and rightfully so, but its I was just double-checking. Since they uh, lost to a blue as Duke in this national semifinal in 2015, they've won two tournament games, obviously crashed out uh, the next year in the first round. I forget who they played. Don't... Middle, Middle Tennessee? Tennessee State, yeah. So, But they are a very good shooting team. Uh, obviously, Nick Ward and Cassius Winston are very good for them. Uh, I do think they're dangerous, and they are someone who can... they can be like No, the, the team that... You know, in in all sorts of times, you'll hear someone say, this is the team no one wants to play in the NCAA tournament. And no one, they're not going to be the the team that no one wants to play. The team that no one wants to play in the NCAA tournament is Duke. But Michigan State, no one's going to be happy to see them uh, play them. And they're going to be dangerous. And they're fifth in Ken Palm, uh, which may be a little high. But uh, they shoot the ball well. They're very good. Um, at taking the right shot. They're three-pointers. They've been consistently good at making the right threes under Izzo the last few years. So I think they've been unlucky in the tournament the last few years. And I think that that's uh, definitely possible that it'll change this year. And they're, Mm. yeah, and they'll be, yeah, they have the Louisville and Kansas loss. The Kansas loss, the first game of the year, uh, did not look great in that game. And the Louisville game was just a weird game. But, uh Mm. Yeah, they have a, and they have a pretty solid start to the uh, Big Ten season again. Northwestern, Ohio State, Purdue, and Penn State. So they have a good way to get some get their sea legs under them. They don't play Michigan until. They only play Michigan once? And... No, they play them oh, twice. They oh, lost four games oh, this wow. season. Yeah, jeez. Come on. Get a look. Can we get it? If we have a round, if we have two, first of all, it's not even a double round robin. It's, you know, just spread those games out. Put one in mid January.
1: Yeah. yeah. Come on, Big Ten. Get it together. Um, they're also fourth in the nation in two-point defense, and that tends to play um, in March. Unless um, Three they play of Villanova. their players block shots. Oh, right. <laughs> um, well, they did pretty. When they played Villanova this year, uh, well, no, I'm thinking Michigan. But yeah, um, yeah. I guess if they're playing Villanova, it might not matter. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that might be a game where Villanova takes every single shot, uh, either in fast break, fast breaks or three pointers. Um, and then Virginia Tech, as we mentioned, they won their. Um, ACC, uh, ACC opener. They are a great shooting team. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been a breakout star. Um, really an ACC player of the year candidate. I mean, obviously Zion Williamson is getting most of the love right now, rightfully so, but um, uh, but he's been awesome. And um, Justin Robinson continues to be awesome. Their their offense is number four in the country, and they're the number one three-point shooting team in the country, and they take a decent amount of them too. Uh, the defense is, is fine, nothing terrible um they're 33rd in the nation but they force a lot of turnovers and they allow the fewest this is a a strange thing they get a lot of steals but they don't send teams to the line very much so i guess when teams are shooting uh field goals they're not fouling they're fouling trying to get strips and that sort of thing in the full court they're no team has allowed fewer free throws per 100 field goal attempts than virginia tech this year Uh, so they're, they're kind of an extreme team but um uh but they're good
0: yeah first in the nation in effective field goal percentage their one loss was by one point this year um they're gonna be very dangerous the only thing i would be worried about them in the tournament is when you're a better team and you play slow that doesn't really help you out as virginia found out last year and they're Mm -hmm. 309th in adjusted tempo um they are very slow especially on defense um so that could come back and bite them if they're in a close game um Against an inferior team, the tempo may may hurt them. But they are, I think, they're very scary, and the ACC is stacked. And this is just one example why, because no one's talking about Virginia Tech, and they're seventh they in
1: tempo. Yeah, um, they do play a lot of zone, which I think is a big reason why they have kind of a very slow style on defense. But their offense is only 256 in tempo, so it's not like their offense offenses running up and down the floor either. Um, yeah, so that it's let's, let's let's go to the top 10, um, 10 through six. Uh, okay.
0: Um, big see. surprise this will be the biggest surprise of the uh, of the, yeah. the reveal here oh no I'm sorry I uh, put Kansas fifth I lied
1: <laughs> okay so you have Auburn Texas Tech Tennessee North Carolina Kentucky and um, I have Texas Tech Tennessee Nevada Kentucky and North Carolina um, so
0: Oops. there is one team in our top. I left, in your I left top. out Gonzaga. That was an accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Redo. <laughs> Slide everyone down. Kick out Mississippi
1: State. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Ben Holland. Um, yeah. You're out. So where are you putting Gonzaga? Uh,
0: I'll put them above... Uh, no, sorry. Below Carolina. They got smoked by Carolina. So that's okay. a mistake. Sorry about that. Anyway.
1: No problem. Um, so... <laughs> So you have Auburn 11, uh, and then your 10 through 6 are Texas Tech, Tennessee, Gonzaga, North Carolina, and Kentucky. So, um, and I have Gonzaga 5, so it's not that big of a difference in terms of those teams. We have Tennessee and Texas Tech in the same exact spots. I have Gonzaga about three spots higher. Um, I have Kentucky one spot behind North Carolina. You have Kentucky one spot ahead of North Carolina, but we both have them in the 6-7 spots. Um, yeah, so... What are you, what are your thoughts on these teams? Not not so much on your rankings of these teams, but uh, oh, why? Like I guess Kentucky six maybe is is the what sticks out here in Gonzaga eight when most people have them might have them a little bit uh, yeah. lower for Kentucky and higher for Gonzaga.
0: Kentucky six is recency bias. I think that um, they played very, much better of late, and that's kind of persuaded me to get them. I bumped up there Gonzaga I do not trust their defense at all I watched the Carolina game they got blown out of the building basically and their defense did not look very good at all um they're only 54th in adjusted d- defense I know they're first in adjusted offense but that really scares me uh come tournament time they're giving up a lot of points um they gave up uh over 100 to Carolina um and then they since then they've played nobody's and so good for them but um gonzaga's defense i don't trust and that's really why i just i can see them they want to play in a track meet that's fine they're 55th in tempo but that's just not gonna i just i can see them just losing a sweet 16 game where they run into a high scoring team and a good offensive team they just can't slow them down
1: yeah Uh, in terms of gonzaga we'll see if the return of killian tilly can um improve their defense at all um especially their defensive rebound he was 198th in the country. Last year, the defensive rebound was 16th in the country, so uh, that's a big drop-off. Um, but Tilly was only their third... Actually, um, of guys that played serious minutes, uh, was only their third-best uh, defensive rebounder last year behind Jonathan Williams and Rui Hachimura. So uh, he should help there, but I'm not sure how much. He also should block shots and might improve their two-point defense, which is has um, it's, it's been fine this year. It's 33rd. Really, their big problem is that um, and the defensive glass. Um, so, uh, against North Carolina, for instance, um, they allowed uh, 14 offensive rebounds to North Carolina, which was 47% of all their misses that North Carolina got back. Uh, Luke May had three, Garris Brooks had five in that game, and then um, let's see what happened in their loss to Tennessee. Uh, against Tennessee, 16 offensive rebounds, 35% for Tennessee. Uh, Grant Williams had four offensive rebounds, and um, Admiral Schofield had four. So we've seen their the rebounding could be their Achilles' heel, um, and I think that that's reasonable to put them down there. Um, you know, I, I had them, uh, I guess, just uh, just inside the top five. We both have dropped North Carolina pretty substantially, you from three to seven and me from four to six. And I really consider putting North Carolina behind Kentucky. Um, Kentucky obviously beat them on a the neutral court, North Carolina is a team that uh, has not really... I, I think the reason, regardless of what the results are for North Carolina, Nas Little has not been like an ACC all-ACC player this year. And and people thought that he could be. And so and I don't think there's... There's not good reason to believe that he will be that by the end of the season. His rate stats are, are pretty good um, in, in limited minutes. I don't like when people put, like Sam Vassini did in his recent... He, his, his draft big board is great, and the he did was great on it, but for Nas Little, he put what his stats would be for, for, per 40 minutes. And I think that doesn't make any sense, because no one plays 40 minutes. So it should be like per 30 36 or,
0: or two minutes, something yeah. like
1: that. Um, but anyway, his his numbers against better
0: opponents are not good. Um, and and, and uh, Roy definitely doesn't trust him against uh, on defense. So you know, he's not going to play more, and Carolina's defense is very good. And if he's on the court more, it's obviously going to hurt their defense. So, I mean, Kobe White's legit. Obviously, Luke May is fine and playing well. But Carolina, like, Naz Little is disappointing. He's not going to. It's not going to hurt his NBA career, as we have talked about, but or his NBA draft stock. But he is hurting Carolina right now because of his just the, the lack of trust. Whether fair or not, it's a problem for Carolina.
1: Yeah, we both picked North Carolina to win the national title,
0: and no, that was, was so good
1: about that with the. Understanding that not Nasir Little was going to be like maybe their best player um, or one of their best players and one of the best players in, in the ACC. And right now, I think clearly um, Cameron Johnson has been their best player. Uh, and you know Luke May from a rate wise, you can make the case Nasir Little has been their second best player. But when you consider their defense, um, you know guys like Kobe White and Luke May, you have to put them in front of Nasir Little right now at the very the very least. Um, yeah. So top five, um, Kansas five, this is Tom, Yeah. Nevada four, Michigan three, Virginia two, Duke one. I have Gonzaga five, Virginia four, Michigan three, Kansas two, and Duke one. Biggest difference is that you have Kansas five, I have them two, and then another significant difference, you have Nevada four, I have them eight, um, and then you have Virginia two, I have Virginia four what are your thoughts uh
0: kansas i just i think they've they've gone from last year being so reliant on the three or so good at the three to basically not having an outside threat uh their offense goes through Dietrich lawson who is really good and a player of the year candidate and udoka azabuke came back in their game against eastern michigan and looked good he ca- came back from the dreaded high ankle sprain i feel like it's a federal law you have to say dreaded when you have high ankle sprain <laughs> um but they run through the post so much which is classic bill self but that was a lot better in basketball five or six or ten years ago than it is now i think you need to be able to hit the three to win the national title and i don't think that kansas really has um the shooters to do it they're only 35.7 percent from three this year uh compared to what they were last year which was 40.1 which is 10th in the country and this this year they're 100th and third and i mean their defense is very good it's better this year because of the big men on the court but i the backcourt is a major downgrade from last year legerald vic has been over his head and probably going to come back to the pack a little bit. And then Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes have not quite lived up to the hype uh, so far. Now they have room to grow and Bill self-develops players really well. And obviously they'll be dangerous, but I just don't think the style of play, not plotting through the post with Diedrich Lawson and Azubuque, but I think it's just, I think it's a too reliant uh, on the uh, inside game uh, to be a, to be like a top tier national title contender so that's why i have him out there i think there's like i think there's the question is where's the biggest where's the drop off like you could say the biggest drop off arguably could be duke and then everybody else if you looked at adjusted efficiency margin but i think there is a big drop off somewhere between somewhere else between duke virginia michigan i think there's a step off kansas nevada is going to be impossible to predict but i put them ahead of kansas
1: yeah um I'm still on Kansas for now. Maybe as as a fan, either you have a better sense of it, or you're kind of seeing all of the warts that other teams also have, or maybe other teams besides Duke also have. Um, I, yeah, it's interesting. Quentin Grimes has not been particularly good this season. Similar to Nas Little, has actually been less. Uh, he hasn't even been efficient, but he's playing more than Little has, um, and he's not hitting threes. And, you, you know, you mentioned they're 105th in the country in three-point percentage, but I think even the bigger number is that they're 313th in percentage of their attempts to their three-pointers. So I think you make really good points there. They're, they're going to try to get on the break um, and score on the break. And then when they have to play half court offense, um, they're going to be going through Derek Lawson, and, and, which is fine. But it's not fine if you don't have, uh, if you're not able to knock down threes. Um, we, you know, Ladrelovik's 47%. Dots, you know, he has 37 threes. The rest of the team, let me add this up, no rest one of the shoots. team has 21, 34, 44. The rest of the team has 48 made three-pointers. And Ladrelovik has 37
0: by himself. So that's no one shoots that. threes on the team. It's a problem. The three-point basket is a big part of the game, and it's a major problem. And yeah. I think part of it also, I think, is I'm so used to Kansas being an outstanding offensive team. And, like, it's a sh- bit of a shock to go from last year when they had Michaluk and Devonte Graham and uh, Malik Newman shooting outside shots. Um, and now you go to uh, what they have now, which is basically LeGerald-Vick and no one else making threes. is a, It's a bit of a shock, but I still think it's a problem.
1: The last time that Kansas didn't have, an, an, right now their adjusted offense is uh, 14th in the country. The last time that they were um, outside the top 10 was 2014-15, which was um, the Kelly Oubre team. Um, oh yes, uh-huh. that lost to Wichita State in the second round of the uh, the, big t- the NCAA tournament. Um, they, they were, they were that the offense was worse. They were 27th in the country. Um, in large part because they couldn't hit twos actually they were 254th
0: and two-point shooting that year which no, 234th is... just, just don't oh, change two... them too much yeah, yeah sorry yeah Sorry. i mean need to get glasses that was perry I'll... alice mr of many bunnies yeah oh here's an interesting question my friend asked me quick sidetrack you hear people miss bunnies but do people make bunnies you never hear someone say they make a bunny hmm
1: right. yeah i guess i think i've heard someone say um something like oh uh Dropped it. it um, ended up in a bunny, or for or for for the bunny. But i never seen anyone say make the bunny. Make yeah. it, um,
0: Almost always yeah. missed. Anyway. Quick yeah. digression.
1: It's also a weird a weird word to use. Yeah. I think. I agree. Anyway. Um, if we both have Duke number one still. Um, you know, you have Virginia number two. And I think Virginia is probably the second best team in the country. Yeah. I, Um, stylistically, I am concerned. I mean, you're concerned about Kansas stylistically, which I think is fair, and I'm concerned about Virginia stylistically. The the blocker-mover offense, which they run kind of stubbornly all the time without kind of the variations. Are, and interesting, it's like 14 minutes long, which is probably a little too long, but a video by Jordan Sperber that basically <laughs> breaks down the uh, blocker-mover offense from Virginia and shows how the other teams in the NBA use it, but do some different things with it that make it a little bit more dynamic. Um, Ty Jerome makes that style of offense work because he can come off screens um, and he, can, he, he runs, um, he, he cuts really well. Uh, and Jerome and DeAndre Hunter are, uh, that, they are amazing. Um, you know, but one thing we've seen is Kihei Clark, who had been kind of an interesting guy for them at point guard. He uh, has not played well as well of late. He's also been a bit banged up. Um, yeah, so it is interesting. I think that there's a big drop-off between Duke and the rest, and, I, um, and you have a drop-off between Michigan and the rest as well. Um, we both have Michigan at three. Their defense has dropped off ever so slightly, maybe. They're not number one in the country anymore. I think they're down for, like, number four, which is strange how good that defense has been. And then Nevada, maybe that's a team we can finish on. Um, uh, or we can finish on Duke, maybe. But I have Nevada eight. You have them four. Um, why do you like Nevada more than Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Gonzaga?
0: I think Nevada has a very good shot at getting a one seed. Probably more likely than the rest of those. I think they could be the number one seed out west. We haven't really talked about seed consideration, but it does make a big difference Um in the path you get to the tournament sometimes how you how likely they are to get uh, to the final four um obviously it's they're a total wild card because they played their three tough their three toughest games for loyola chicago usc and arizona state they won all of them um and now they're going to go into the mountain west and go have a decent shot of going um undefeated in that conference about 13 percent according to ken palm so i mean obviously if they do that they're going to be a one seed out west which will help them and i think they're very good at getting to the line and their def- defense is good enough, and their offense is very good. So, I mean, they're ca- kind of an unknown. So, I took a little risk on them because that's what they are. They're an unknown. They're and we won't know really until we could not know really. It's possible we cannot know anything about Nevada until that Thursday or Friday night game this week, sixteen.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Caleb Martin is tenth in the in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings. He's been great. Jordan Caroline takes a ton of free throws. He's already taken a hundred six this year. Um, and then, and they really—they—they they were challenged by Arizona State. A six-point game. They had some bad first halves um, in other games where where they trailed. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know because you don't know that much about them. I don't know much about them. We had them ranked differently, but but yeah. uh, like I had them ranked behind North Carolina and Kentucky and Gonzaga, who we know a lot more about, uh, and Kansas. And you have ranked ahead of all those teams. Um, and I guess lastly, Duke. Um, Duke is Duke. Is—is is there any? Do you think that Virginia could be close to, like, what would it take for you to move Duke off this one line? Or um, to
0: to a spot? Like some major collapse in the ACC, like three straight losses or like a major injury. Um, it's really tough. They have two of the top three guys in the Ken Palm player of the year, and Barrett and Williamson. Um, They're just very good, defense and offense. And look, I mean, look at the gap um, in their efficiency margin on Ken Palm from one team to the next. From their team, uh, there, plus 32.63, Virginia is plus 28.77, so it's almost four points. Just to give you an idea, last year, the difference between the one and the two team was about the same, Villanova over Virginia. And Villanova was pretty clearly the best team last year at the end of the year. So yeah,
1: Villanova entered the tournament number two in Ken Palm behind Virginia. Of course, Virginia had that bad 20-point loss to um, UMBC as the one seed, and Villanova had one of the more dominant um, ncaa runs we've seen uh i'm not sure do you remember where it ranked in like total point margin for all six games like
0: I um that... it, i definitely remember they set the three-point record for the tournament in the national semifinal Uh <laughs> <And, laughs> which is good i do not remember where it ranked all time for but it's definitely up there but yeah their
1: closest game was a 12-point game I, feel like it did uh, an, I think against west, game. west virginia and texas tech both were 12-point wins um yeah, I mean, I, I, we could, I think we saw Villanova hit their stride, hit their peak at that time as well, because they had some earlier injuries that uh, last year's, um, and they had kind of a struggle in the middle, uh, I guess in February when uh, Booth went out. They lost two of three to St. John's and Providence, and then they lost an overtime game to Creighton. But uh, I remember after that Creighton game, someone online, I can't remember who, Um I'm not sure it was a college basketball person. I was like basically said uh, I can't. The way Villanova finished the game and their end of game execution, they're clearly not going to win the national title with that kind of execution. <laughs> Whoops. Like, yeah, okay. Anyway. Um, okay. Well, we we're going kind of long already, but uh, but let's 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 do our um, quickly as, as quickly as you can go through like. Uh, uh, 65 teams yeah. or 60 teams. Uh, let's go through and make sure that you know something about every uh, relevant team in in the country. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to start by doing the top 15 of mid majors, um, and then we're, and that'll be. With my power rankings and just like little nuggets on each team, and then we'll do Pac-12. We're kind of we're kind of going in order of worst conference to best. Um, but mid majors are better are, than Pac-12. Yes, that, that's true. <laughs> so definitely, the the 15 ranked mid major teams here that we have in this are a lot better than the Pac-12, and probably better than the Big East too, um, almost certainly. Um, but we're going to alternate and make sure that it's me talking, and then Tom, and then, and then me. Um, and there might be some times where one of us cuts in and, and adds a, a note on some teams. And we're going to skip the teams that we talked about in our top 25. Um, so I've created those teams, Tom. Um, and So let's start with the mid-majors. Um, uh, I ranked 15 of them, and uh, it was hard, hard to rank them. I think it's actually a really good year for the mid-majors outside of the Atlantic 10 in the Mountain West Conference. Um, you know... We see a lot of kind of conferences we don't always see here. The MAC has has been really good this year, for instance, the Southern Conference. i actually haven't ranked any Southern Conference teams, but Southern Conference has been good this year. Uh, And a couple ones I didn't rank that I want to just mention, so that you you know these teams could be involved in the NCAA tournament uh, discussion or could be tough on them. There, Temple out of the AAC AAC, in the bracket majors right now. They're in the first four out. St. Louis, A-10. They might be the best A-10 team in a down year for the A-10. Wofford out of the Southern Conference, um, right now is a 12 on the bracket matrix and 64 in Kempom. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's so many interesting teams here. Old Dominion beat Syracuse. Liberty just beat UCLA. College of Charleston, New Mexico State. UNC Greensboro, Dayton, etc. Furman, I didn't have Furman in my top 15 despite the fact they beat Villanova. Um, Drake might be the best team in the Missouri Valley. Love the Drake. I uh, hate the Drake. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Anyway, here's here are your top fifteen mid-major teams, and I'm not gonna go through every single one of them, but I will um I, w- I will tell you
0: greatest tips.
1: This, yeah number fifteen Murray State uh, John Morant he's probably have a lottery pick uh, number nine, he was number nine in the Ken Palm rating last time I looked number one in the nation assist rate um they uh, number number fourteen Fresno State out of the um, the Mountain West uh, they haven't um, played. Uh, they, just, they just lost Utah Valley State or Utah Valley, Valley University without their best player, Deshaun Taylor, who's injured, but he is cleared to play. Uh, they did blow out Northwestern this year. Um, they are 65th in Ken Palm. Number 13, VCU out of the A-10. Um, they won at Texas. They lost in overtime to St. John's. They're only number 239 in the country in offense, but they're number six in defense. Um, Marcus Evans' backcourt defense is really good. And they have a couple good shot bloggers in Marcus Santos Silva and Corey Douglas. Number 12, Belmont out of the OVC. Uh, They also beat uh, UCLA, which I think we mentioned earlier of uh, Liberty.
0: It's like the the free square on a bingo card right now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, They won at Lipscomb, who's also on this list um they play a fast tempo rick bird's first year as head coach at belmont was billy donovan's last year as a college basketball player in 1967
0: six at degrees time, of separation yeah
1: at the time time belmont was uh, um an naia team and uh, providence went to the final four number 11 lipscomb um they they won at smu and tcu and back-to-back games before uh, christmas They're very experienced, led by seniors Rob Marbury and Garrison Matthews. Number 10, Toledo out of the MAC. A lot of people... um... Uh, the, the Mac is, at, is really good this year. People talk about the Buffalo, but Toledo is also very good. They're a really good outside shooting team, 14th and 3-point shooting, 3rd and free-throw shooting. They have played a very poor schedule. Um, their defense is 84th in the country this year, which is worse than their offense, but it's by far the best defense that their coach, Ted Kowalczyk, had in nine years at Toledo. They've never been higher than 170th in defense in their 84th this year. Let's see if that holds up. Number 9, St. Mary's. They're only 9-6. and six. Five of the six losses have been close and they're 43rd in ken palm out of the of the west coast conference great outside shooting team 40 percent on threes um this would be the sixth time in eight seasons that randy bennett has been a top 40 in three-point field goal percentage a randy bennett coach team has number eight san francisco they had a tough loss over the weekend to ucsb but they have beaten harvard stephen f austin cal and stanford Um, They're in the first four out of the bracket matrix. I should mention that VCU, Belmont, and Lipscomb are all 12th in the bracket matrix, in case that interests you. Um, And their other loss was to Buffalo by two, or or by four, rather. They host Gonzaga on January 12th, Kyle Smith's squad out of the West Coast Conference. Number seven, Utah State out of the Mountain West. They're in the first four out. This is Craig Smith's first year at Utah State since moving from South Dakota. He is not the Craig Smith that played at Boston College. They're the second-best defensive rebounding team and third-best two-point uh, defense in the country. And they go 10 or 11 deep. Their team includes Crew Ainge, who's the sixth child of Danny Ainge.
0: How many does he have? Oh, youngest of six.
1: Six. six He's the six. youngest, okay.
0: yeah. yeah. Six is good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what got, they you, said. You, We're
1: you, done. Get, six is good. You, you got a problem with so the six? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number six, <laughs> speaking of, yeah. UCF. Um, they have a really good guard in B.J. Taylor, and they also have Taco Fall, at massive center. Um, they are only uh, 319th Nation free throw percentage because Taco Fall, though he makes uh, 80% of his twos, he's like 29% of on his free throw line. I think I put on here 2%, but he's a no, hard. That seems low, yeah. <laughs> uh, number five, Buffalo out of the MAC. Uh, we know about Buffalo from the tournament last year. They beat Arizona. Um, this year they've beaten uh, West Virginia, Southern Illinois, Syracuse, and San Francisco. They had their first loss of the season to Marquette just before Christmas. They are the 19th most experienced team in the country. Number four mid-major, Cincinnati. Um, they're, they're very Cincinnati, slow pace, top defense. This might be the ninth straight season that McRone's the top 25 defense. They don't have any really good wins. They beat uh, Mississippi and Xavier. Um, but we'll see if this team can compete with number three on the list, which is Houston out of the AAC. Um, in this, the, the only two teams in the AAC on this list. No, or actually, that's not true. UCF was sixth. Um, they're still undefeated. Houston is. They already have wins over Oklahoma State, Oregon, BYU, LSU, and Utah State. Top 15 defense led by uh, big man Bryson Gresham, who doesn't uh, play more than 25 minutes a game, but still gets a ton of blocks. Uh, actually we, we discussed houston in our rankings so move on from them nevada is number two we talked about them and gonzaga is number one pac 12 tom what do yeah. you tell us
0: about this awful awful league it stinks i don't know how, I, I just don't understand how all these big time schools can be this bad but somehow they have all gone to this confluence of suck basically a uh, couple bad breaks arizona we can talk about their bad breaks but anyway let's just go through california just lost to seattle at home by nine that's not good um, nope. Washington State has played the three, basically the 8th easiest schedule in the country, and they're still 7-6. and six. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> uh, Utah gave a run against Nevada. Cedric Bearfield had 33, but they are still bad. They got blown out by Kentucky. Kind of helped Kentucky turn their season around. Stanford has played five A games, their own five. Uh, They did kick Kansas to overtime in Lawrence, which basically is one of the top five best things that Pac-12 has done all year, I would argue, and they're 162nd in offense. They just turned the ball over way too much. Uh, USC, 0-4 in eight games this season. They did, maybe also in the top five great assists for the Pac-12. They led Nevada at the half earlier uh, in December. I think it was December 1st. I think it was the day of the uh, SEC football championship game. Oregon State is actually halfway decent on defense, but they have no bench, um, and they're not good. UCLA, obviously, is a sinking ship, uh, so they're pretty much done. Colorado has lost to Hawaii, San Diego, and Indiana State, and had put a pretty easy schedule. They are not good. Now we get to Oregon, who has had major injury problems. Ball, ball is their top recruit. He's missed four games. Lewis King was another freshman who's missed seven. Uh, they beat Syracuse at the Garden, and Syracuse is one of those games where like, at the time, oh, they beat Syracuse, Sweet 16 team, but now it doesn't look so good. Um, then you have Arizona, who's basically Sean Miller is in the middle of it, uh, and I think they'll bounce back. Their offense is bad because they lost their, um, their recruiting class because the FBI situation. They lost a lot of guys, but their defense is playing well. So actually I think Sean Miller deserves some credit uh, for how he's handled this here, uh, just kind of keeping his team afloat. Uh, Washington, I think, is actually dangerous in this uh conference all the losses are okay Noah dickerson's down low i think they have a shot at winning this conference depending on how these other teams play uh, arizona state beats kansas at home then loses to princeton and princeton's not that good everyone's not, you know the ivy league princeton is not the best team in the ivy league this year so that's a really bad loss lugan stord is great um but they're very sh- poor shooting on it. it's 248th in the country in effective field goal percentage and they're the second or best team in the conference arguably um and they are uh and they're 248th in effective field goal percentage so that's basically how you would sum up uh the pac 12. the best team in the conference possibly and the highest seed in the bracket matrix is uh one of the worst shooting teams in the country or bottom mm-hmm. bottom third in the country in shooting
1: in case people are curious right now the bracket matrix has has arizona state is a seven arizona is an 11 and both oregon and washington in the next four out that's not the first four out it would be the next four out um right now the pack 12 um, at least as of December 29th, had the worst non-conference winning percentage um, it, potentially ever, at least in the, Ken, ten, in the Ken Palm era. 6.07 was their winning percentage at 9.964. I don't think it's gotten better since then, but we can check. The tw- uh, Actually, 6.08, they were the second worst. They might be the worst now. Um, the tw- really, the 20- yeah.
0: really bad record in December. It was just a terrible yeah. two weeks of Christmas. Let me ask you this. Which What odds would you have to get to bet that the MAC would get more teams in the tournament than the Pac-12 like right now so Buffalo and Toledo like what are the odds you would say I will bet $10 on that that they would both get in and the Pac-12 will get one team in Mm. 20 to 1
1: yeah I think yeah 10 to 1 probably is what I was thinking okay yeah okay it's one of the Big East which has not been a good year for the Big East but they hasn't been nearly as bad relative to the Pac-12 DePaul I have 10th um they have a guy named Max Strews. He's good. High possession, low turnover, also rebounds. They play the 11th easiest non confidential in the country. Uh, number nine, Georgetown. People talked a lot about Georgetown because they beat Illinois, but Illinois stinks. Um, they're the 12th fastest team in the country in terms of tempo, which is interesting. Um, their backcourt is uh, They're led by the backcourt of freshmen, uh, James Akinjo and Mac McClung, they're, who are both solid for freshmen, but they're also inefficient. Uh, their best player is Jesse Govan, who's also their a big man and, a, and their best three-point shooter. Um, but he doesn't take a lot of their shots because Kenjo and Mac McClung are. Number eight, Xavier. Their defense is 105th in the country. Um, they're 0-4 in, in A games this year. Losses to Wisconsin, Auburn, Cincinnati, and Missouri. Um, they're a great two-point shooting team led by uh, Ferris State transfer Zach Hankins, as well as Tyreek Jones, Najee Marshall, and Paul Scruggs. Uh, I think that, you know, basically eight through three is actually not that big of a gap, um, no. and so I think you could see any of those eight, these eight teams from Xavier on making the NCAA tournament. Um, number seven, I have is Providence. They really needed that win against Creighton at home. I would need it needed as strong. They, they could have used it. It was a home game against a team that they were in the same tier as, but Creighton shot the lights on the second half on three-pointers, as Creighton does. We'll get to them later. Providence is the only Big East team besides Villanova to win at least 10 league games each of the last five seasons, and so that's going to be hard to duplicate um, this year, but they're probably going to have to if they want to go into a tournament. Alpha Dial is their best player. who Leads the team in rebounds per game. Sorry, points per game, offensive rebounds per game, defense rebounds per game, steals per game, and assists per game uh, as a six-seven wing. Number six, Butler. Um, they're higher than five and four in Ken Palm, but um, I, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not that high on Butler this year. Kamar Baldwin's been pretty inefficient. His, affin- his, off- his o rating in wins is 121 and losses is 61, which also. Could you could probably say that his O rating against good teams is is bad and bad teams is good. So we'll see what happens. He doesn't have Keelan Martin this year. Um, number five, uh, Seton Hall. Uh, I put them behind St. John's by beating them and that controversial win. They're doing really well when it comes to NCAA tournament resume with wins over St. John's, plus at Maryland and Kentucky in neutral court. They're not a great three-point shooting team, despite the fact that they beat St. John's in a three and beat Kentucky in a three, both by—and the the bigger irony is that really Miles Powell is their only good three-point shooter, and he didn't make either of those shots. (laughs) Um, So, uh, number four, St. John's. Um, I'm not that high in St. John's. I think that this is like a weak spot. Like, like the St. John's is the fourth-best team in the Big East right now. It's not— that good for the Big East. Their starters play almost all their minutes. They should uh, be getting Kita, the big man, back soon uh, to help that rotation. Um, they struggle on the offensive glass. They're the worst offensive rebounding team in the Big East and second worst in, in, of any major conference team. And the worst is Cal. And Cal is not even in the top 200 in Ken Um But Chamori Pons is, is great. And, I mean, they're top six with Mustafa Heron and Jason Simon. And um, it's just, their top, the top six is really, really good. And can Chris Mullen coach them to the NCAA tournament? I say, I don't know. Wow. Creighton, yeah.
0: I say yes, come on. They're probably going
1: to win the tournament. Creighton, <laughs> number three. Um, they, I think I might have even had them like number six or seven before they won at Providence. But they're not in the top 130 in any of the key four factors. The four factors being field goal percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, um, both four factors for, for offense and for defense. There's eight, eight total. There's shooting and field of defense. There's turnovers and turnovers forced. There's offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds and this getting to the free throw line. And then there's preventing your opponents to get the free throw line. They're not in the top 130 in any of those except for shooting. And they're number two shooting team in the country, or EFG, including being fifth in three-point shooting, 25th in two-point shooting. Um, they are 313th in free throw shooting, which is a little bit weird. Um... But, uh, yeah, Tyshawn Alexander's had a big breakout season for them. Mitch Ballack is um, a great shooter as well. Marcus Zagorowski, as a freshman has been really good. And under the radar, Martin Crampel, uh who was great before he tore his ACL last year, uh, is really playing better the last few games. Uh, he has 19, 18, 11, and 16 in the last four games. And he's also he also has made uh, four, five three-pointers in the last three games after having only made two the entire season before that. No, uh, for two, I have, I actually have, I guess I have, uh, I have Villanova two and Marquette one, even though having them a different order in terms of my uh, top 25, just because right now I think Marquette's better, but I still think Villanova could be better by the end of the season. Um, we're going to talk about those two teams; we already did. We're going to move on to the SEC,
0: Tom. All right, South Carolina, one of the most disappointing teams in the country, you could argue. They lost four or five. They lost to Stony Brook, Wofford, and Wyoming. Their best win I think is against the 189th Ken Palm team. They haven't beaten any team inside the one in the top 180 in Ken Palm all year. And this is a team that made the Final Four two years ago. I guess Frank Martin is uh, screaming himself hoarse. Uh, Texas A&M started 1 and 4 since they're 5 and 1, but the loss was at Texas Southern at home in the last game. So they're Texas struggling. Southern, Texas yeah. Southern's
1: beaten now Texas A&M, Oregon, um, and Baylor. They, is it the first time they've beaten a major conference team that didn't have like really bright green and gold uniforms though
0: yeah uh georgia lost at home to or lost to georgia state Tayshon hightower is great but the rest of their uh team is a little sketch arkansas had that win against indiana we talked about earlier in the year great block rate but surprisingly otherwise disappointing in two-point defense they must be giving up a lot of open looks uh daniel gafford's doing work down low but the rest of the team is a bit missing in action missouri turnover prone and They play very slowly. They're 257th in two-point shooting and 21st in three-point shooting. Maybe they should shoot a few more threes. Uh, Avery Johnson's team last year was 20th in defensive efficiency, but they've fallen off into the 50s this year. They do get to the line, um, and they are right now, obviously, on the outside looking in. Vanderbilt's in the next four out despite uh, losing Darius Garland. Um, So now they have Simi Shitu as their main backcourt guy. Um, So we'll see. They're in the next four out. Uh, Mississippi is a very good shooting team. They are top 32 in, both two, oh, in all three, the two-point shooting, three-point shooting, and free throw percentage. Um, Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis are doing good stuff for them. They are in the first four out right now, if you trust the Bracken Matrix. Florida is a 10 seed right now, and I feel like they have some room to grow. Jalen Hudson disappeared, basically, for the first month and a half of the season. He has double figures in uh, his last two games, including Butler, whom they smoked. Um, they're one and four in uh a games this year they lost to michigan state two at home uh lsu is a solid 10 and three of course last year they entered sec played nine and three and did not uh do so well they finished 17 and 13. uh they have a good start to their schedule the next the best teams in the sec they don't play any of them kentucky auburn or tennessee until february 9th and i think uh, mississippi state comes right before that so they have a good warm-up against some of the worst teams then we talked about the rest of them mississippi state right now is a five kentucky is, sorry, yeah, yeah it's looking like a five, Auburn a three, and Tennessee a two. And Tennessee, we actually haven't talked about that much, but they are um, a shallow team, but they are one loss team against a neutral Kansas. Uh, it is a neutral game against Kansas. So they are um, going to go with Grant Williams and see how it goes.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I'll note before I go in the ACC is where the biggest teams are in the bracket matrix. Providence was the next four out. That was, a, presumably does not include their loss to Creighton. I don't think they would be in that anymore. Butler is a 10, Seton Hall a 9, Creighton, uh, St. John's a 9, Creighton a 10, Villanova a 6, and Marquette a 5. So even in a down year, six teams in the NCAA tournament, but of course not many with very high seeds. Um, ACC. Wake Forest is bad. I've missed 15th. Um, They've lost four games against teams outside the top 100, Gardner-Webb, St. Joe's, Houston-Baptist, Richmond. They do get to the foul line, um, second best in, in the country at doing that, led by Brandon Childress, who's the son of Randolph Childress. Um, number 14, Georgia Tech, um, they're t- 223rd in offense, which makes them the worst offensive team in the major conferences. They're one spot behind Rutgers. Um their on defense, um, they've only allowed more than a point per possession once, twice this season to St. John's and Gardner Webb. So their defense is actually pretty good, but no offense uh, for Josh Pastor's team. Number thirteen, Boston College. Um, they they only have three losses. Uh, one, two were in overtime, and one was a game that they led most of the much of the way to IUPUI. But they did lose yesterday to Hartford in overtime, which is bad. Um, Stefan Mitchell did not play in that game due to an injury. He's number one in the country individually in free throw rate. He has 55 free throws this season and only 31 field goals, uh, failed attempts. Um, number 12, Pittsburgh. It's a surprisingly decent first year for Jeff uh, Capel. Uh, they're, top 10 on, they're a good defensive team also. Top 10 nationally in effective field percentage and turnovers forced, but they played a very weak schedule, including seven opponents ranked worse than 250th in Ken Palm. Number 11, Notre Dame. They're now they're one of the most inexperienced teams in the country, and they're out two starters, Rex Fluger and Robbie Carmody. Then um, those guys are both out for the season, not just for, for a short period of time. Um, number ten, and they and they lost a bit blown out by Virginia Tech today in their first ACC game. Miami is number ten. They had that uh, stretch where they lost I think four straight games: uh, Seton Hall and then Yale, R- Rutgers, and Penn. Um, that's not good. Um, doing. Hernandez, who used to be called Dewan Huell, is now seeking legal help to get reinstated by the NCAA. He's currently been ruled ineligible. Um, they only have one win against top 140 Kempom teams. That was Fresno State in the Wooden Legacy. Number nine, disappointing Syracuse team. Um in 2013-2014, Syracuse started 25 and 0 before losing the final six of their final nine games, including uh, to Dayton in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Why do I mention that? That was the last time that Syracuse had a good offense, like a top So 30, the second
0: round, or the uh, round of was the round of 32, or was it the? It was. Round? It was the round of 32. Okay, so the real second round. Yeah, um, Dayton. I think
1: beat. Uh, I think Syracuse was a, was a three. That was the year that um, that Dayton played. Uh, uh, they made the Elite Eight, I believe, that year, oh. and they they played. Kansas Florida. In the Elite Eight, right? No, I think they played oh. Florida that year. Oh, they too. played Florida in the Elite Eight. Yeah, okay.
0: Uh, yeah. Let's take a look. That was the. Um, wait, look okay. at no. The, we're talking 2014. Yeah. They did play Florida in the Elite Eight. Then that's when Connecticut beat Florida. And where was Syracuse that year? You, well, Syracuse. Uh, yeah, they lost to Syracuse. It was the. It was the. Uh, yes, the round of 32. Syracuse beat yeah. Western Michigan in the first round. Anyway,
1: back to you. My overall point here is that Syracuse is not good on offense, and yes. that's why they are um, they're been disappointing this year. They're 29.9% on three-pointers, which is really bad. Uh, only Baylor and, and Texas A&M ha- are worst three-point shooting teams in the major conferences. Number eight is Clemson. Um, they've lost their three toughest games, Creighton, Nebraska, and Mississippi State. They're 10-0 in, their, in the other games. Uh, perhaps they're unlucky to allow very high three-point percentage. We'll see if that changes. Uh, they're fourth in the nation in two-point percentage on offense, um, and a couple of guys they had on their team last year who were good three-point shooters that haven't um, uh, been good this year. Uh, let me just make sure I have their first names right. I think it's da- Davon Reed. No, Marquise, Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell. This year, they're shooting 29 and 29. A uh, 29 and 30% from the three-point line last year marquise reed and and um sheldon mitchell shot 35 and 37 percent. so perhaps they have some room to grow on offense um and they could be they could get a little bit better uh number seven louisville um they've already played six non-conference a games they went two, two and four in those games no team in the country scores a higher percentage of its points of the line in louisville they have eight players that have at least 20 free throw makes um for chris Mack's first team at louisville Uh, They did lose, obviously, to Kentucky over the weekend. Um, Number six through one, we've already talked about in our top 25. NC State, six. Florida State, I have them fifth. Virginia Tech, four. North Carolina, three. Virginia, two. And Duke, one. If you're looking at bracket matrix seeds, right now, Syracuse and Clemson are 11s. The is an eight. North Carolina State is a six. Florida State and Virginia Tech are fours. North Carolina is a three. And Duke and Virginia are one seeds. Big 12, Tom.
0: Yeah. Baylor is... On the outside, looking in, their offense is 155th in the country in efficiency. If it was halfway decent, they'd be fine. Uh, Their defense is third in block rate, and they're 21st in defensive efficiency. That's really a missed opportunity for Baylor. Just, you know, score at a normal rate, you'd probably be running the thick things. Oklahoma State has played a lot of tough games. They lost to Villanova. They lost to Minnesota, Tulsa, Houston, Nebraska. They don't really have any good wins, except uh, neutral against LSU. uh, Mike Boynton doing things there. Uh, That's program's been through a lot the last few years we'll see what happens with them west virginia you could argue is the biggest disappointment in the country um they are they've lost to buffalo western kentucky and rhode island also florida which is not as bad but that is they're looking like they're not going to make the NCAA tournament texas right now is an 11 seed according to the bracket matrix karen roach didn't plan their recent loss to providence uh their defense is better and Chaka smart as i said has not won an NCAA tournament game at texas um and right now, they're on the bubble as far as what they're going to get in. They have beaten UNC and Purdue. The Purdue win, not looking quite as good, has not aged well. Uh, TCU, we have not talked about. They were one of my teams early in the year I thought would be uh, better than their preseason prediction. Um, their only loss is at home to Lipscomb, which we've talked about too, is not a terrible loss in the grand scheme of things. It's pretty bad, but uh, they should have won the game, but it's not the worst loss ever. Uh, Jamie Dixon could be, uh, he's on that UCLA list. this team has five guys in double figures if they can get jalen fisher healthy he's been banged up uh, this year after missing a lot of last year uh, they could be a dangerous team in this conference and they could really sneak into the uh, top five of the conference which is kansas state is an eight iowa state is an eight oklahoma three right now texas tech best in the nation in effective field goal percentage i think chris beard is a great case to be coach of the year given the turnover of that team and kansas right now is a one seed um, looking like if i think the winner of this conference will get a one seed in the Insula tournament because it is the best ken palm conference in the mm-hmm. country but look for tcu to move into those uh, those five teams we had uh ranked uh, above them yeah um
1: and then your last conference is the big ten so illinois is 14th uh they don't do anything well except force turnover six in the country at that uh brad underwood wins by year um, in his co- coaching career as a D1 coach, 32, 29, 28, 20, 14, and this year he's on pace for nine.
0: Maybe Oklahoma State um, knew what they were doing with him. Just yeah. letting him go.
1: Rutgers number thirteen. Um, they're great on very good on D, terrible on O, terrible shooting team. Um, their defense may be propped up slightly by Rutgers allowing opponents to shoot only 57% on free throws. We'll see if that can if that holds up. Number twelve, like twelve through. Eight is actually pretty tight. Um, uh, number 12 I have as Penn State. Um, they played a very difficult schedule, already five A games. They are one and four in those A games. That win was against Virginia Tech. Uh, and they start the conference play with Michigan on the road, Wisconsin at home, Nebraska on the road, and Michigan State at home. Um, they're led by defense forces turnovers, especially 6-5. Josh Reeves, who both gets blocks and steals. Number 11 I have as uh, Northwestern. Um, Actually, no, I, I switched to that. Number 11 I have is Minnesota. Um, they do two things really well, offensive rebounding and getting to the line, and that's led by Jordan Murphy, who's number one in the nation in defensive rebounding. They're a terrible shooting, uh, three-point shooting team, both in terms of the number they take and the percentage they make. Um, number 10 is Northwestern. They've had um, four very close losses or three close losses uh, of their four two were by two to um indiana and michigan and then one was in overtime to oklahoma and the other lost was a blowout to fresno state derek uh, derek pardon and vic law are the two best players by far um and but they need more from, from evansville transfer ryan taylor and bc transfer aj turner taylor did have a big game Uh, against Columbia, my alma mater, against Tom's alma mater over the weekend. uh, It's a blowout win for Northwestern. Um, Number nine is Iowa. Uh, I could definitely argue putting them eight, but um, they get to the line uh, better than any team in the country, uh, led by Tyler Cook, who stepped at 94 free throws this year. The, The D was terrible last year, and now it's maybe just bad. Uh, which might be good to fit in the NCAA tournament. Um, their non-conference schedule has been really weak, 337th in the country, um, and they're also 0-2 in conference, so we'll see how for real they are. Um, they did beat Iowa State and Oregon. And number eight is Maryland Mark Turgeon on the hot seat. Uh, their, uh, their best win of the season so far is a home win over Penn State, so that, that's uh, not looking so great. Um, they're really dominant on both glasses, led by Bruno Fernandez and Jalen Smith. Um, and then... Uh, and for seeds for these these teams, Minnesota bracket matrix seed is ten, Iowa is eight, and Maryland's eleven. And then the top, that, which means right now the Big Ten has ten teams in the NCAA tournament. Makes the top seven we've already talked about. Ohio State is a four in the bracket matrix, Purdue's a nine, Indiana's a five, Wisconsin's a four, Nebraska is a six, which feels low to me. But um, uh, Michigan State is a two, and Michigan is a one in the bracket matrix. So a
0: lot of teams.
1: Yeah, we. We have discussed like 90 teams. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's stop discussing good job. things. Uh, do you want to look ahead at some at some games or do you want to say we've given the people uh, we've
0: done enough? Well, let's do more, we'll do our picks offline cuz I'm winning the picks and I want to keep winning the picks. So I still want to do picks, but I think we've we've gone for like 99 minutes, so I think we're yeah. uh, we're good. We'll do the picks offline and then we'll recap next week. By the way, just to give the pick update. I'm 32 28 and 3 and you are now 25 35 and 3. So Ouch. Ouch. Yeah.
1: 99 minutes and the picks ain't (laughs) one. Exactly. Okay, that'll do it for this uh, episode. Hopefully you can listen to the episode and say, I haven't followed college basketball much this year, but now I'm ready. I know something about Lipscomb. I know something even about washington state um so if you enjoyed it please do uh, subscribe rate review on wherever you get your podcasts uh i will also mention we're on podbean which a friend of mine said he's listening to us via podbean um as well as uh, google play musics um spotify and apple um and see, see us on twitter at double bonus pod as well as our website on bonuspod.com uh email us at bonuspod at gmail.com Uh, Until next time, uh, thanks, Tom, and enjoy uh, some college basketball.
0: You too. Happy New Year.